I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to All Stats, aren't we? A podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Rafa Benitez of the podcast, old, chubby, balding and hanging out with his enemies these days. And I'm joined by the Rafinha of the podcast, Joe Hill, dragging us kicking and screaming to a point. And finally, the Liam Cooper GBH tackle leading to a penalty of the podcast. Call the police. A crime has been committed. It's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right, John. And and uh, just like Liam Cooper uh, said yesterday, if you remember back to that incident, you initiated the contact and I just finished it. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that's the quickest I've ever heard you do that intro, John. We we you know, it seemed like you were doing it with the sort of urgency that that Leeds United played with at times <laughs> yesterday it was it was it was impressive actually yeah I'm, I'm good thanks mate good to see you time stops for no man Darren we have to get through this <laughs> another man for whom time doesn't stop is Joe Hill the, the baby face Joe Hill Joe how are you doing <laughs> yeah I'm good thank you it's been a while since I've been on the pod um so it's really nice to be back and nice to be talking about a game that wasn't a hammering like last week so I feel for you guys who had to come on last week <laughs> Yeah, it's the old Darren and Tom Alderson combo, sucker punching us. Let's jump into the the game summary then. So obviously we drew 2-2 with Everton at home. We played in a 3-3-1-3, which was fun. So it was nice to see the 3-3-1-3 coming out. Um, And I think the interesting things to note was um, that Ailing was... right centre back which is what we've come to expect in the in a back three formation pretty much these days Dallas was at the right wing back uh, which meant that he wasn't in the middle Calvin Phillips was back in and Click played in the one although the reports coming out of the press conference was that uh, Rodrigo was was injured and would have played had it not been for for that Everton played in a 4-4-2 mid block which we expected uh, and they forced us wide and then pressed us as we also expected Um, and it was interesting to see the centre backs help out in those wide presses as well as the midfield too as well which is something I think we'll we'll go on to talk about I think the first half was a fairly tight affair uh, and and then Cooper gave away the penalty and the only real chance we made in the first half was was from quite a direct attack where the ball played quite nicely by Rafinha and it just wrong-footed the the Everton defence 1-1 probably flattered both teams at uh, at half time I think but I think Everton generally controlled the game out of possession 
but did look poor in possession, which I suppose makes sense given that Benitez is early in his time at Everton. Then the second half, Everton scored pretty early on. A, a little bit of poor defending by Stuart Dallas, allowing Damari Gray to score from a wide position. 60 minutes, click came off for Roberts, Junior off for Shackleton, and then Dallas switched sides. And then once Everton were two on up, I think they dropped the intensity of their of their pressing in the second half. And Leeds had a pretty bright spell just before the equaliser. There was about four or five corners in a row at one point, but Leeds didn't really create a, a clear cut chance. And then Rafinha scored a belter after the ball was recycled for a set piece. And I think after this point, Everton cranked up their mid block a little bit again. And then I think both teams sort of rode the game out fairly comfortably after that. <laughs> So that's the, the game summary, uh, whistle-stop tour of the, the, the important points. And this is the point where I interrogate you two about what happened on the field. So question number one, we're going to have five questions here. The first one is this, did Leeds look good or was it simply that we looked better than last week? Joe Hill. For me, I thought Leeds did look good. It was kind of an interesting experience for me because I was away yesterday just working and listened to the first half on the radio and didn't catch any of the second half. And then I didn't really manage to read anything about the game. I didn't really know whether Leeds played well or not. Um, Watched it back this morning. And my initial reaction was that we did play quite well. I thought we looked really dominant in possession. Um, And I guess in the final third, we didn't really... We didn't really turn that possession into lots of high quality chances. But my feeling is that if we carry on playing that way, um, that, you know, we should get more results. Uh, we should get more positive results playing that way. And I thought the three three one three looked pretty good as well. Yeah, a bit of both, really. Um, I thought that the, the first half was kind of very even, very, very even. There was nothing in the game at all, really. And I, I thought we, we, we looked good at the things I expected us to look good at given um, Everton's structure. Um, we were able to move the ball through the thirds much more easily than we were last week, but you, you would kind of expect that given that they were playing a mid-block and they weren't pressing particularly uh, robustly in, in in central areas. Um, I thought we looked... I thought we looked lively and at it without really being able to break through them. And again, I think that's just really what I expected because I think very few um, teams are going to create huge numbers of chances against against a Rafa Benitez team, uh, particularly one that, that he's kind of really in the stages of laying down those defensive foundations that he puts down at every club before he kind of lets players off off the leash. I think the worrying signs uh, for me, and, the, and there definitely were some, um, were we had a, a spell similar to last week, really, that where we we gave too many chances away um, in in that spell at around sixty minutes, and it was exactly the same story as at Old Trafford in that sense. And without a couple of really great saves by Melier, I think we we could have been well out of the game. And then I think um, I think you're right; they did drop off in intensity, but I think we upped our intensity at the same time. Um, and I just think we kind of we look, we look like we're lacking a bit of spark in that final third. And I, I think there I think my observation is that that there that some of the timing of our passing is not quite right, that some of the timing and coordination of the movements in, in attacking areas are not quite right uh, yet. And, and I, I suspect it'll click into place against some teams and not against against others. But um, I also think that pace against us is causing us a real problem in, in, in transitions, and I think that's true of both weeks. So I think I think for me it's a kind of a, mi- a mixed bag, uh, really, from yesterday, that there were definitely things we look good at, but there are definitely things that show concerning signs going forward in the rest of the season. I think two games in a row now we've seen teams sit their fullbacks against us, 
Um, and the, I think the the reason why I think a lot of fans were fairly positive about yesterday is because we dominated possession. Um, I think Everton were happy to let us play it around the back. Um, they they tried to keep it out of the centre and just force us wide and then spring pressing traps. And as I mentioned in the in the summary. Um, their their centre backs were happy to push out quite wide uh, and join in those 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 pressing um, sequences, and their midfield would do that as well. So you would often see Everton with four or five players around uh, in, in a wide area when we were on the ball, um, and I suppose that that seems to be something that is probably going to be be repeated um, as we as we go through. We saw I think Brighton with the blueprint last season, um, definitely doing a, a lot of that force the ball into wide areas, allow Leeds to transition through the thirds because they'll do it anyway if you try and press them. Uh, and then when, once they get into those advanced areas, just stop them from getting the ball into dangerous areas in the box. Uh, and that seems to me to be the the, the general the, the general gist of yesterday. So I'm not necessarily... I, I obviously think that we look better than we did against Manchester United, but that's a, a fairly low bar. Um, but I do I do sort of have some some worries that in a game where I think... Um, we we come out sort of feeling okay about it. We we were a little bit lucky to actually get the result, um, especially when we were two one down with fairly late in the game. I don't think we really created many chances, although there is a strange Bamford chance right at the end. Oh, is that the one where he's on his ass? Like I don't know how anyone would expect him to score from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then Jack Harrison had that weird shot, and it just sort of went through to to Bamford, who was currently complaining about the uh, about Yeri Mina again. So, but yeah, I think I think that obviously that it, it's the right trajectory. I guess I I sort of worry because I think a lot of people have been coming out saying, well, you know, Rafael Rafael Benitez teams are always going to defend well. Um, but I, I kind of think that you don't have to do a huge amount to recreate those conditions. Um, and I think obviously some teams will come to Elland Road and do that. They'll sit in a four four two block and they'll make it hard for us to score and they won't look that likely to score themselves. And those are the teams that we absolutely need to be beating. And if we can't turn those teams over then we are just going to see teams coming and, and sitting out at Elland Road. And, and, and I suppose that's the, that's the worry. Joe, do you want to come back on that? Because we've both talked about, about the sitting a little bit deeper and, and then sort of having teams basically counterattack against us. How do you feel about that? I mean, one of the things that I had written down um, that I didn't say earlier was um, the three-three-one-three takes a body from midfield and puts it into defence. Um, and I wondered if maybe that was a factor in in terms of why we didn't um, why we didn't create more in in the final third and why we didn't turn our possession into bigger chances um, because we just didn't have that extra body. I think Luke Ayling did a good job of driving forwards to sort of be that extra body. Um, but yeah, I wondered if an extra body in midfield would have would have helped that. And in terms of the the counter attacks that Everton. We're, we're we're trying to generate. Um, I don't really mind it as a blueprint. I think I'm 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 quite happy to watch a game where we do dominate possession. And I think I'm more of the belief that we can turn that possession into big chances with more work um, and just the season going on, rather than that that blueprint is going to work for the rest of the season. I think that Leeds can improve on that performance yesterday. So I'm not too worried if teams want to play that same way that Everton did yesterday because I, I feel like overall it was quite good, but I'm, maybe I'm being too overly optimistic. Well, I think the, the, the likelihood is that I'm being overly pessimistic, so I wouldn't worry about <laughs> that too much. 
Let's move on then. As I said, the, the, the second question is following on from that then, and uh, it, it is this. Do you think that the blueprint that we're talking about here, that is teams sitting deeper, not pushing their fullbacks forward, um, inviting leads to um, build up in wide areas and then pressing them and then trying to hit them on the counter-attack, do we think that's a blueprint that a lot of teams are going to use against Leeds this season, Darren? I think it's one of the blueprints, definitely. And I, th- I think we saw Roy Hodgson do it at um, Selhurst Park with Palace last season. I thought we saw Brighton do it in, in both the games. Um, and, and I think it's definitely one of the blueprints. It's the one that the defensively smart coaches will use um, against us because they know that that's the, the way that they limit our chances um, most effectively. We know that some will some will press us and, and try and get at us that way, and I think that'll be generally teams who are kind of more... Um, more, more, more attacking, attacking-minded, or who've got their own kind of style or identity that they want to impose on games, and then um, Newcastle will just do nothing in particular, and, and that'll be <laughs> that'll be what they do. But um, I, I think that we've got, to, yeah, I think we've got to expect certainly, a, you know, a, a decent number. I think probably Palace will come and and do something similar. Um, in or maybe they won't. I've not seen them yet. Maybe I'm been a bit unfair there, but but um, yeah, I, th- I think it's certainly something that that we're going to have to get used to seen certainly a few times across the course of the season for sure we went through a couple of spells last season where we couldn't really create chances either and, and it was it was in games like this I seem to remember like against Leicester we didn't really create anything against Palace away we didn't really create anything although we had a goal uh, chalked off um, so I, I guess um, I just see it as part of a part of a little spell that we're going to need to get through um, and and keep keep working on the keep working on the co- coordinated movements and keep doing all the things that we know that Bielsa will be doing with the players on the training ground and getting the third man runs working more effectively, which didn't really come off a lot of the time yesterday. And, and I'm sure that, that and it's that kind of thing for me about I, I'm sort of trusting the process that, that this is just a little spell that we're going through and that things will click into place. So much comes down to who, who scores the first goal. And I think that's a positive yeah. from yesterday that in the, I think last season, there's a few games where, for, so for example, Wolves, we we played a fairly open game with Wolves, and then they they scored the goal, and then they just sat back, and we didn't look like creating a chance in a in a thousand years. And I think yesterday, at least, we we showed that uh, ability to just get back into games, go a goal down, get a game goal back, go goal down, get a goal back. So I think that's a definitely a positive thing, um, for sure. Um, question three: How do we feel about the three three one three formation at the moment? Joe, you've already mentioned uh, the 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 three three one three, but I guess let's talk about it a little bit more structurally because um, obviously it does change things up quite a bit. Um, Stuart Dallas obviously moving out of the central position into the the, the wing back position, and um, yeah, I, I mean the three three one three is the formation that Bielsa is famous for playing, um, and is the one that was was sort of famously exciting. Um, and yeah, I don't ever really feel like I enjoy games in the 3-3-1-3 now it may be the case that that's because 3-3-1-3 pretty much means 4-4-2 by the opposition and perhaps that means that they're more likely to just sort of sit in a in a lower block or a mid block and 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 sort of duke it out with us but um let's talk a little bit about the about the 3-3-1-3 so um yeah we'll start with you Darren what do you what do you make of the of the 3-3-1-3 at the moment yeah, I thought Everton's approach to it was quite interesting because in the past when we've seen teams play um, a four-four-two against us, quite often what they've done is in, when we've got the ball, they've dropped one of their strikers into their midfield and made it into a four-five-one. But Everton didn't do that. They left Richarlison um, and and Calvert-Lewin both quite high, and what that meant for us 
was that Ailing couldn't afford to push push into the midfield and forward as much as he ordinarily does when we play that three three one three, um, because that would have meant that we, we don't have the defensive superiority that we know that Bielsa always likes to keep. So I felt that was quite smart by by Everton really to make sure that 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 because we know that. Aileen's one of our primary outlets. We know that he can get get um, into advanced positions and 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 you know kind of is, can be quite central to the interplay that we do in the middle and final thirds. And I thought that really by doing that, they limited our ability to kind of to to um, get into dangerous situations. Um, but I, I felt overall, I felt that the three three one three by and large functioned reasonably well and better than I've better than my memory of having seen it function before but that really is to do with how we progress the ball because um in the past we haven't been able my impression is that we haven't been able to progress the ball effectively in the 3-3-1-3 but generally that's been because teams have pressed us and not allowed us to do that whereas I felt that obviously Everton sitting off and leaving quite a bit of space um for us to do that meant that we were able to so it's kind of it's yeah it's kind of chicken and egg type thing really were we better at progressing the ball or were Everton not really interested in trying to take it off as in advanced areas, I guess would be the question. Yeah, I think when I rewatched the game back in the first half in particular, and I think I'm going to do the the Patreon video this week on this, um, I just spent a lot of time just really focusing on on the structure, what was happening in the first half. And Leeds obviously dominated possession, but it it, it was so obvious that the Everton were just literally funneling them down the sides. I mean, that's that's literally all that their their structure was designed to do. Don't worry too much about winning the ball in high areas because there's only going to be two of you up there anyway. You're unlikely to to be beat a back. Th- three with a with a defensive midfielder with just two players um so there was no interest really in pressing to win the ball in high areas the, the whole design of the of the of the Everton press was to just force the ball into wide areas and advanced areas and then suddenly you can you can um, engage your press and you've got four or five Everton players around uh, maybe three Leeds players win the ball back there and then try and decompress quickly and so it's I think it's quite hard to sort of judge where where the game is at because you know, it does look as though Leeds are a dominating possession, but the question is, like, I for me anyway, like, where do you allow that ball to get to? Are you allowing a huge amount of dangerous chances in the box? If not, then it's not particularly, uh, it's not a particularly bad um, reason to to allow possession to the opposition. So, um, yeah, coming back to the three three one three, Joe, you've you've mentioned that you don't like that 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 lack of a body in in the middle. Um, do you think that Leeds? struggled centrally defensively uh, as a result I'm not sure actually I thought that the the back three and the wing backs I thought they they played pretty well I thought that Strauk was really good um in the center center back position if you like um and I do agree with what Darren said that Ailing was perhaps limited by marking the front two and staying back a little bit but um Ultimately, I, I think I felt that our build-up was all right, but I think that's probably because Rafinha was dropping deep at times to help out. Um, the common pattern that I picked up on was Dallas inverting and then Ailing would play the ball st- directly to Rafinha and Rafinha would work some magic and play a little one-two with Dallas or something and, um, and then there'd be a bit of space. So I think we were a bit reliant on that and um, perhaps we couldn't be in the future if Rafinha doesn't play um, as well as he did in, in in that game, um, but overall, I was quite happy to to watch the three three one three, and it was quite nice to see um, that formation for the whole game because sometimes we go in in and out of it, and I, f- I felt like yesterday it was pretty clearly three three one three for almost the whole game. Um, so it's quite an interesting one 
we'll have to bookmark this one um, next time we next time the three three one three crops up because um, there was lots of good examples of how we play in that formation yesterday. It's going to crop up at the weekend when we play Burnley in a totally different game. Yeah, I thought Everton didn't really try and attack us through central areas in a direct way. I mean, they they, they lumped the ball up and they let Gray and um, Richarlison and, and Calvert-Lewin kind of try and get, get in the way of our defenders. But, but they didn't do what other teams have done, which is have one of their central players either a midfielder or a defender carry the ball into into the middle of our uh, into our structure and and try and create problems that way so from from that point of view i thought we actually looked reasonably solid apart from those times when we didn't um compress back into our defensive shape quickly enough after we turned it over yeah i think Towards the end, the game opened out a little bit and there was a few times when Everton came through and had overloads attacking and just didn't manage to find dangerous passes, which is why I think, like for me, I just don't think they were that good going forward, really. They had a few moments where they, they looked okay. And like you say, they were just trying to look, hit the wider channels, get pick the ball up and play a ball into the box and try and, and, try and fashion something with it. Um, I think the other thing to say about the three three one three formation is that in a game like yesterday's where the opposition are going to give you that possession in in pretty much the 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 the, the two the first two thirds um you're not having to change your into your defensive formation that that much um and i think obviously because leeds shift the 4-4-4-1-4-1 into a rough sort of 3-3-1-3 anyway in possession it just means that I think it makes a slight difference in terms of they can just sit in that three three one three. They don't need to worry about the de- the defenders necessarily moving out of position to pick up marking players, um, and and so I think that the three three one three works fine in those situations. Yeah, but sometimes what we do when we do the three three one three is we go into the same two three five that we do when we go into into the when we play the four one four one, and that didn't happen at all yesterday. That's exactly what you're talking about, isn't it? That we we weren't able to get into that two three five formation, which is kind of fundamental to a lot of our build up. So, um, yeah, I think that's really interesting actually. That 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 although there was kind of um, there were times when we didn't compress front to back quickly enough actually in terms of the width, it was it it worked reasonably well. I thought. And I think if you look at the pass maps from yesterday, it's very much a sort of U shape, showing the ball moving across the back three into one wide area and then back across the other way. Um, really not very much penetrative passing through the middle as well, which I guess, I mean, the Leeds model is not to do that. The, the Leeds model is to get the ball to the wide players and then play it in into the into the middle. So, And I think that's partly why we're happy to sort of evacuate the middle um, because... Well, you're evacuating the middle by your attacking players moving into the box um, and leaving space behind, and then relying on Calvin Phillips to to clear up, which he which he did yesterday. But we'll come on to that in a, in a little while. Um, just one question: I, I thought it would be good to have, in light of that fact, because uh, I think both of you have suggested that that sometimes we can look a bit empty in the middle defensively. Um, the role of the of the one in the three three one three. Um, because I think sometimes people don't quite understand. Like, what is the difference between is the one a ten or is the one an eight? Um, what does that look like compared to the usual formation when we have two eights, maybe one slightly more attacking? But um, Darren, you had some thoughts on this. So, what's what's your take on the role of the one in the three three one three? Yeah. So um, in possession, I see it really as uh, about 
shut, shuttling laterally, so moving across the width of the pitch, um, depending on which side we're building up on, and trying to create triangles or quadrants with with the fullbacks um, and and the striker um, and the wingers um, to to try and kind of support our build up play. And out of possession, really, it's just the same as any other play, which is pick up your man marking assignment um, and and try and make sure that they don't have too much time and space. Um, I think it's actually quite. It's quite a simple role in that sense. I, I don't view it as really being a traditional 10. It's much more in the interest of, of kind of making the structure work um, by, by being that kind of link player. Um, and I think it puts a tremendous amount of strain on whoever plays it because they have to just basically bomb across the pitch constantly for 90 minutes. And, and no wonder um, Click was... You know, dead by seventy minutes yesterday because he'd done he'd done such a such a lot of 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 that kind of running across the pitch, but also he'd done a lot of chasing lost causes and making sure that that like for example, one of the things that I noticed yesterday that he, that he and Bamford did really well is that Pickford never had a ball at his feet where he wasn't being put under pressure by a Leeds player hairing towards him at absolute maximum speed, and that really affected Pickford's distribution, which can, it can be a bit erratic anyway. But um, I thought. Yes, yeah, so I, I think really it is, it's much the same as when he plays in the 4 one 4 I think it's, it is, it's the same stuff, but with more ground to cover. Yeah, so you're essentially doing the work of two eights rather yeah. than, than one. Yeah. Right, so with that in mind then, the big question of the day was whether or not Rodrigo would have made a difference. So question five is, would Rodrigo have made a difference, Joe? For me, I don't think he would have made a difference. I thought that Click played that role pretty well. Um, and I, like we talk about the pressing of Rodrigo all the time. Um, I think that would have been a bigger issue um, than attacking. I think that the pressing would have been a bit off. And I think that between Click and Phillips, um, they managed to press Everton's central midfield pretty well. Um, there's always the back, uh, the balance between attack and defence, isn't there? So you, maybe you could argue that there would be slightly more in attack if you played Rodrigo. But for me, I don't think it's worth it. And I, I, I thought that Click was good enough yesterday that I would keep his place and I would play exactly the same formation against Burnley and players. He might have made a difference. Like you know, I, I always kind of get a bit irritated by people going if X player had played then then this outcome would have been different and I saw a bit of that yesterday talking about Llorente and I just think well it's just a nonsense argument um but I think the areas in which that you know there are there are we, we've talked a lot about Rodrigo's upside on the ball and you know there may have been times yesterday when he got into individual moments where he could have made a difference or picked out a higher quality final pass or that his that his that his intelligent movement might have freed up a bit of space but my sense is Probably not, because I think Everton played with a really solid double pivot, which was kind of made to make sure that they killed the areas in which Rodrigo or Click would want to operate in the in the more central areas, as well as kind of supporting their press out wide. Um, but I, I, yeah, so I'm not sure the space was there, but I do think it's the sort of game where um, some of his defensive weaknesses might have been less of an issue. Um, I think we counter-pressed pretty well, and I think he might have been able to contribute to that in, in a reasonably good way. Um, but but as they didn't have a central defender or a central midfielder who was looking to drive the ball forward, which is one of the things that really exposes Rodrigo, I'm not saying it wouldn't have been an issue at all, because I think it's always going to be at least a bit of an issue. But I think it, it's one of the games where we could probably have afforded to carry him a little bit more. I think the, the, the area where he could have made a difference is when we bring on those substitutions in the 60th minute and the game is opening up from there on in. That said, 
we brought on Roberts and I thought Roberts was perfect for that too. Um, Rodrigo is going to try and build up through passing um, in those areas mainly, I think. Um, whereas Roberts is going to be more dynamic. He's going to pick the ball up and drive. And I think that made a big impact um, yesterday. So I think it's it sort of swings and roundabouts. Obviously, with, with Rodrigo, you're getting a level of, of, of guile that is elite. Um, but I think in a game like yesterday, I don't think you necessarily need really elite players to break down teams who are starting to get stretched a little bit in in later uh, parts of the game I think you just need someone who is going to get on the ball move the ball and pass the ball on Um, and I think Roberts did that pretty well yesterday to be honest I thought Roberts had a good game when he came on I thought I thought he looked actually in the stadium I thought he looked a bit shaky but when I watched it back this morning I thought he looked really good hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Right, well, enough of the topics that I find interesting and uh, time to hear about the topics that you guys find interesting. So we'll start with Joe. What do you want to talk about? So I wanted to talk about Jamie Shackleton, um, which might not be a surprise since he's one of my favourite players. Um, But yesterday, I didn't think he was that effective. Um, I felt like he was not inverting as much as Dallas does. Um, I mentioned earlier about that that pattern of play where Dallas inverts and Rafinha drops and gets on the ball and it felt like Shackleton was staying wide a little bit more um, and then Rafinha wasn't able to to drop into that space um, and I just for me I just didn't feel he was very active in terms of looking for the ball um, there are certain players that when they play I mean this is just the raw eye test as well I've only watched it once but there are certain players for me that always seem hungry to get the ball and Rafinha is one of them Phillips is quite good at um, positioning and dragging players out of position and I just felt like Shackleton wasn't quite as effective as uh, at doing that as Dallas was. I've got on the running order here that Darren totally disagrees with Joe, so I'm just going to go straight to Darren on this one. <laughs> yeah, I I felt that I I actually what I do agree with is that he didn't invert like Dallas did, but what I what I thought he was really effective at was stretching the pitch wider and kind of making sure that that we that Rafinha could actually drop inside and and get into slightly more dangerous areas, and I, I thought Shackleton really supported our build-up play out wide because he moves the ball quickly when he receives it. He doesn't kind of dawdle on it. He's usually one touch and off and then he's moving. And I thought I thought that he did he did the things that I would expect him to do ordinarily really well. And I thought he he was that substitution and, and um 
Shackleton playing in a more advanced and wider area was part of the reason why we were able to um, put a bit un- Everton under a bit more pressure. And actually, I thought the reason that Everton took a bit more control in that final bit is because they brought Fabian Delph on as a as a more defensive substitution, primarily to kill that threat coming from Shackleton and down that side and support, support Dinia because I thought um, Damari Gray wasn't, although he was very dangerous, he wasn't really doing that defensive side of things and we were starting to get overloads on that side. Um, so I, I felt that it was a really, really effective substitute appearance and, and one that I'd be, I'd actually be, you know, it's difficult, isn't it? Because it means probably dropping Dallas, but I thought I thought he gave a good shout to perhaps even get a start at some point in, you know, in the future, but I'm always pushing for a Shackleton start, so that shouldn't surprise anybody. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely agree that that Shackleton was pushing way further forward than than Dallas was in that position. I think that's part and parcel of of the fact that he's just younger and and, and fitter than than Dallas. And I think Dallas is very good at um, sort of monitoring where where he should and shouldn't go forwards. Um, and yeah, I guess Dallas does go th- like Dallas is a box to box midfielder, so he is going to want to um, invert more. He likes to come through into the box late on and 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 get those, I guess, chances at the edge of the box. Um, I thought Shackleton was good. I think it's also important here to um, to just be aware that like, I like the ebb and flow of the game as well, because I think when Everton went two one up, this is just before um, the, the 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 lead subs were made, and I think probably as a result. Um, well, these subs were made as a result of the fact that Everton were just sitting a little bit deeper. They were they weren't quite so intense in their pressing. They were just happy to sort of sit in banks of four and and sort of invite Leeds on and and, and close down anything. Um, and then obviously when Leeds got the the goal back, I think they come it come after a period of Leeds being a little bit more dangerous. Um, as I mentioned before, there was about four or five corners in a row at one point, and I think Benitez just re- recognised that he had to change things up and get the the. Um, the mid block working a little bit more um, uh, efficiently again, and and that sort of changed the the game back. So it's it's hard to judge. I think the the Shackleton um, substitution in light of that fact, because I feel as though Everton were inviting Leeds to get forward a little bit more in in, in for a spell. Uh, but I do I agree with Darren, and I quite like Shackleton just sort of getting really advanced in a way that you see Ailing do when he plays as a fullback, um, and that I think that did make a difference, especially in light of what you said, Darren, about. Um, about ailing maybe being pinned back a little bit more so we weren't getting that that out ball quite so much in the wide area it's at times it looked like we were playing something that looked closer to a 3-5-2 than a 3-3-1-3 when Shackleton came on I thought because it it meant that he pushed Rafinha a bit inside and he picked up the space that Rafinha had been occupying earlier okay so Darren what do you want to talk about I just wanted to get a get a sense of what you guys made of uh, Junior Firpo um I felt like he was pretty solid in possession, um, but I thought he was a bit tentative in the final third and I would like to see him being a little bit braver. Um, but I guess that makes sense given that he's just settling in. Um, and I guess the, the other thing is that there wasn't a great deal of attacking threat down that side from Everton, so I feel like his defensive work wasn't wasn't really tested. So I just, yeah, I think it'd be good just to have a chat about him and see what, what you guys thought of how he did. Yeah, Joe, what did you make of Junior? I thought he was pretty good. I, I agree with what Darren said. I think attacking-wise, um, he could probably do more. It felt like there was a couple of chances there. that um, He overlapped Harrison a couple of times and the ball into the box was okay, but nothing really came of it. I think there was one in the first half um, where the ball looked like it was just going to drop to him and he could just take a touch um, and get into the box and probably take a shot at goal. And his first, It was kind of a difficult touch because it was bouncing quite high, but... Um, 
part of me just felt, oh, if that was Rafinha, then he would have touched that down, or even Harrison, um, and created a big chance. So maybe it is just the fact that it was his first game at Ellen Road, and he just needed a, um, a bit more composure and just to settle into the team. Um, and yeah, I, d- I don't think he was massively tested, but I felt like he was pretty solid and um, certainly more solid than Alioski has looked at times. So uh, I think it's I think it's a good transfer and I, I think it's a step up from Alioski. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he develops and particularly the relationship with Harrison. If they can link up really well, then that's going to be um, just as good of a threat as the right-hand side is. Yeah, we talked a lot on this channel about the fact that we need, well, we wanted a, a right-footed um, uh, left winger who could cut inside and be a little bit more creative. Uh, that doesn't seem to be happening, but it does seem as though Junior's been used very much as that option who can come inside. Um, we expected him to be used as a sort of flying wing back in a lot of respects, and that hasn't been the case really. Although there was a few instances in the first half, I think, of that happening. Um those of you who who have listened to me talk about the three three one three will fall asleep at this point because um, this is the moment where I talk about the, the game that we played against Cagliari in preseason, however many seasons ago it was. Now it's a long time, but I still bang on about it. Um, but for me, that we we played in in the game against Cagliari like the the perfect version iteration of our three three one three, which is we played Forshaw as the right wing back, and he inverted basically sat almost alongside Phillips as a defensive player, uh, and then we played Leif Davis as the left wing back who played as a classic wing back and I thought yesterday we might do this that that sort of thing um so have have junior pushing really high up uh, and putting pressure on 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 the left hand side um getting into those wide areas um and then having uh, having Dallas sort of covering in the middle uh, and then in certain situations then pushing up wide on the on the right when when the ball is on that side of the pitch um we haven't really seen that happen and I think probably a combination of the fact that that Dallas probably isn't quite so good at right wing back um which we can we can have a conversation about at some point uh but also I thought it was just surprising that we just didn't use Junior in that way given that when you watch the clips of him uh, at Real Betis that's exactly the sort of role that he was playing so yeah Darren what do you make of that well yeah it's interesting because I thought there were there were two things that I took from what you just said one of which is that you said that Leif Davis was perfect um and I'm and I'm, I'm not, not going <laughs> to let that pass without without comment um no the, the the thing that I wanted to pull from that is that I thought there were quite a few occasions in the first half particularly yesterday um, I was sat in the east stands um, about where the tunnel was, so I had a pretty good view of what was happening down uh, on the left-hand side there, where I felt that, that Jack Harrison was stood with his foot on the ball waiting for Junior to overlap him, um, and he just didn't. Um, and that, and I guess that's what I mean when I say that I wanted him to be a bit braver because there were opportunities there where we could have got that overload and, and Junior was kind of really holding his position and, and not kind of springing outside him. And I, I, th- I think that we will see it happen more effectively and, and more regularly over the over the coming weeks. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really hopeful that that we that we can start to see that happen. Um, I guess I guess it makes it a bit difficult to imagine Shackleton and Junior playing as as two wing backs together in that case because they're both likely to want to play play pretty high and wide which I think will leave us quite exposed which is just a thought that's just sort of running across the front of my brain now um but but yeah I I really you know if he's in and and we've got a a right wing back who's going to stay more 
uh, stay deeper, probably stay more inverted, then I really do want to see him kind of peg it on the outside and try and try and do some of that stuff that we've seen in a lot of clips of him from particularly from his best days. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that he looks nervous. Um, it almost looks like he's been told not to to really go too far forward because, or I don't know, it's almost as though he's like aware of the fact that maybe he's a bit shaky in, in defensive transition. So he, he he's um, just sort of covering himself there. But I guess the other thing we should talk about is is Liam Cooper because I thought Liam Cooper looked a bit ragged at times in the uh, left centre-back position as well. I don't know whether or not that would have had an impact on Junior. Yeah, possibly. I uh, thought Cooper was fine in possession phases uh, by, and, by and large. I thought I thought Calvert Lewin gave him just an incredibly difficult afternoon, and you know we there were a couple of times when we saw the the kind of slightly hairbrained version of Liam Cooper where he's making daft fouls in stupid areas. I mean, non non quite so stupid as the the penalty box. Um, yeah, so perhaps perhaps there was there was an element of that, but but actually I thought the the kind of threat that Calvert Lewin was providing wasn't the sort of thing that was going to happen in a transition. It was more the it was more the sort of thing that was going to happen when Everton had decent possession up front and they were trying to fling across into him. And I thought Cooper was always going to struggle with that. So maybe yeah. There was one time I think when the ball went wide and Cooper completely KO'd uh, Calvert Lewin on the sideline, <laughs> and that was when he got in behind Junior. That's all I was thinking. Uh, yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's move on because time is moving on. Um, now is the time to let the, quest- the the listeners have their say on what we talk about. So, first question from username underscore final underscore version two, which is a great username, isn't it? It's the <laughs> it's the final username, but this is the second version of it. But um, username final version two says Rafinha gets injured, then what, Joseph? What happens if Rafinha gets injured? You've already sung the praises of him today. Well, yeah, it's it's not a question that uh, is nice to think about, is it? Because <laughs> he was so good yesterday, and yeah, I just think we would we would our threat would diminish so much if he got injured. Um, I thought Harrison was pretty good yesterday, actually, um, but Rafinha was was on another level, really, and I can't imagine that. Costa or Paveda um, would do quite such a good job um, so I think we'd miss a lot of the cre- creativity um, it's the type of thing that we've that we've relied on from Hernandez um, in past seasons and now he's sort of passed the baton to Rafinha and it seems like no one is there to pick up uh, the next relay <laughs> of the uh, pick up the baton for the next leg of the relay so um, I think if he got injured, then we uh, we wouldn't be left in a good position. I think it's interesting because I think in the games like the games that we we saw yesterday, those games where we are sort of struggling to create chances, we very much become a moments team. There's a few games last season where Rafinha sort of changed the game. I think the was it the Fulham game uh, at the end of last season where Rafinha basically created a chance for uh, well, basically scored a goal that that Bamford created but made it very very difficult to score things like that I think there's a few little games here and there where unless you have a really elite player in that position we don't get the goal we don't win uh, and I think that's true again yesterday like the, the, the finish by Rafinha is just world class you're not going to get you're not going to get many games where where well I, there's, there's no one else really on our team who you would put that on and, and say here you go take this chance and score um, other than the Rafinha so I, I I think he's definitely important in these sorts of games where where you just need that one moment where the the goal is picked up and, and you want him to be uh, the person who's on that the end of that chance uh, Darren 
the most basic answer to that. Rafinha gets injured and we play Costa. <laughs> that's it, that's it. And, and he probably plays until 60 minutes and then we'd make a wild card substitution, whether that be uh, bringing Somerville on or something you know, along those lines. And I think this is why it's so essential, in my view, that we do get the, the transfer that we, that we need because I think we, we are desperately lacking that bit of depth. Uh, from the bench, I mean, we know that Costa can be good in certain games, but I don't think he'd have been good. He'd have been particularly good yesterday, or, or particularly helpful yesterday. So, yeah, I think I think um, you, you're right um, in the sense that Rafinha has picked up the baton of the improviser um, that that Pablo used to have, and 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 not not quite so much of the system based stuff. So um, it'd be really, yeah, I'm I'm hopeful we don't have to find out um, because I think we'd look a bit toothless. Yeah, if we're answering the question literally, then. I walk into oncoming traffic, so um, <laughs> just to get that out there. Um, so question two is from Dean, who says, tell me, is Cooper good, bad, or unlucky? He seems to be always in the thick of the negative parts of our defence. Darren's already talked a little bit about Cooper, so we'll go to Joe on this one. What's your take on this? Is Cooper good, bad, or unlucky? Well, I mean, I think that, that Cooper's good. Um, I like Cooper. <laughs> I think yesterday... As Darren said, he had a really tough time marking Calvert-Lewin. And Calvert-Lewin's a great player. He's great in the air. Um, and Cooper barely won any aerial duels against um, Calvert-Lewin yesterday. Um, and I think Cooper kind of resorted um, to the physical battle, um, which I don't mind from a centre-back. Um, I quite like to see some physicality. But obviously... it. Um, you know, it bought, it, it bit him on the ass when he gave away the penalty. Um, and yeah, it was a bit 50-50. They were both grabbing each other's shirts, but you just can't really do that in the modern game. And I think Cooper's perhaps the type of player that felt like he had to resort to that, um, had to resort to the shirt pulling. And, uh, you know, maybe he was giving it some, some chat in his ear, just the classic centre-back things. And so, yeah, I think yesterday he had a bit of a tough time. Um, but I think against lesser centre forwards um, he'll be fine and he'll be more composed he was all three yesterday at various times <laughs> um, just in terms of the penalty I don't agree that Calvert-Lewin was was pulling his shirt what happened was Calvert-Lewin got on the inside of him and got a run on him um, and and therefore Cooper decided to manhandle him which you know is is a, is is always a bit of a risk with Cooper because if you if you watch any any set piece which we're defending defensively, he's always kind of at people's shirts and pulling them around and, and similarly with Urente and it's always there's always a risk that that's that's going to get picked up and and, and we're going to lose a result of it uh, lose a goal as a result of it or lose a penalty as a result of it. So yeah, I thought he was decent on the ball. I thought I thought he managed Calvert Lewin fairly well for like some of the time but I thought there were other times when he just looked completely outmatched physically um, and and yeah it's just always going to happen sometimes like that Yeah I agree there's, there's things that Cooper's really good at there's some things that he's a bit bit rubbish at and I think the job of the team is to try and avoid those situations where Cooper's a bit rubbish at um, which I think is why we play him as a as the left centre back in a back three when we play him there if anyone runs at him one on one my heart drops through my bottom um, <laughs> but <laughs> Those situations are so rare that the the upside that you get from Cooper outweighs them. So, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's one of those things. I think we're in trouble if referees are going to start giving away those those penalties uh, regularly. I think it was. A, I think that was a, maybe an egregious example of of holding on to a player. Um, I definitely think it was a penalty. But I, as you've mentioned, Darren, are are more. Um, 
I, I guess aggressive centre backs do like to hold on to players in in those sorts of situations to keep uh, to keep them within within reach. So um, yeah, we may be seeing a few more penalties given in that way as the season goes on. And that's one of the problems with the man marking system, isn't it? That we've talked about from set pieces before. And, and I know it wasn't a set piece, but it was a similar situation. There was a ball out wide, and Cooper needed to mark his man. And if your man gets away from you, you've got two choices: you either let him go or you foul him. I think the frustration there, though, is that it feels as though even if you... He's obviously let him get on the inside, as you've said. But for me, I would much rather take my chances of just trying to put him off and hope that he misses the chance than, mm. than give away a penalty in that situation. But I guess on the pitch, it's not quite so simple to... You don't sit there with, with all of these options in your head and go, aha, I shall pick this one. But um, let's move on. Question three. So we've covered this a little bit, but this is from Udav Chowan, who who asks about moving Dallas to left wing back. Did it improve our game in possession? If yes, why? I think we've pretty much touched on this with with um, with Jamie the Jamie Shackleton question. So I'm going to just add a, a proviso to this as well, which is more: Does Dallas look better as a left wing back than he does as a right wing back? So so Darren, we'll kick off with you. So did. Dallas moving to left wing back improve our game in possession. What do you make of Dallas as a left wing back versus as a right wing back? Well, I think four things happened, not just Dallas moving to left wing back. Obviously, at the same time, Shackleton and Roberts both came on. Dallas moved to left back and Everton. Everton dropped deeper and space opened up in the middle third. Um, I, I, I get the sense that he is more comfortable from left wing back when he's coming inside onto his right foot rather than, rather than um, having to make the the pass down the line or, or or an inside pass from his right foot on the right wing. Um, and he's certainly better at breaking up play when he's coming in from the left-hand side with his right foot. There were a number of occasions yesterday when when he stepped out of his left wing-back position to kind of break things up um, a, a little bit more centrally. And that seems to come much more comfortable, much more comfortably to him. So I, I think overall I, w- I would say that, yeah, he is, he is um, more comfortable as a, as a left wing-back and probably more effective too. Yeah, interesting to hear what you're saying about him coming centrally and that impacting his uh, his his ability on the ball, which is which is quite um, fascinating. Given what I did about centre back p- passing out from the back, so I'll have to have a think about that a little bit more. But Joe, just quickly, thoughts on on Dallas at left wing back versus right wing back? I think I need to rewatch the game and and think about this again because, as I say, my initial eye test was that um, we were better with Dallas at right wing back, um, but you chaps obviously. Um, have watched it again. You've watched the game two or three times. So um, yeah, I think this is one. This is a thinker, really, because I'm I'm not sold on on either on either side. Right. We're usually going to cover positives only when we lose. I think, but Darren does want to talk about Melier. So <laughs> I know that time is going on. So you have thirty seconds max, Darren, to talk to us <laughs> it, about Melier. It, it'll be very quick. I just want to just kind of mention that that he really did keep us in the game with those two saves um, just after they'd gone um, two one up, and that 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 I'll, I've seen a bit of criticism of him for the second goal, and I just think it's absolute nonsense. Um, the the ball went through a player's legs, and then he made two outstanding saves, which kept us in the game. And could otherwise, it could have seen us go, you know, three or four goals behind, and would have been really struggling. So, uh, just wanted to say, well done, uh, Ilian. Right, this is the part of our 
programme which is still unnamed. Jack Hardy wants to call it Statric Bamford, so this week I'm going to go with Statric Bamford. But I, I, we're going to go with something more sensible because uh, that's just that's just silly. Uh, <laughs> but this is a section where we discuss an interesting aspect of the game from a statistical point of view. So I wanted this week to just talk a little bit about um, Luke Ayling quickly. Um, we've talked a lot about Luke Ayling in this in this um, in this podcast, and I don't think particularly positively. Uh, but when I looked through the, the FB Ref data, um, I noticed that Ayling had nearly double the passes than every other of his teammates. He got 101 completed passes from 109 attempted passes. Um, with the proviso that actually, if you look at those passes, a lot of them are very safe passes. Hence his high um, passing percentage um, numbers although I do note that Pascal Strauch had the highest passing percentage completion um, and he also this is Ailing, had the most carries so he had 82 carries um, he made 604 yards of which 394 were progressive and the next highest player in terms of progressive yardage was Harrison with 194 so he got a full 200 yards um, on 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 Harrison so we were clearly using Luke Ailing as a as a progressor however um, I, I don't think any of us really picked up on Ailing as being an important player in the game in terms of uh, what we achieved so uh, my question I suppose is was was this effective Ailing is the is easily the outlet we are using but we didn't really seem to see much from him so we'll start with you Joe what did you make of Luke Ailing as an outlet I thought he was good um, I think this comes down to what Darren mentioned earlier with er- Everton maintaining the the front two um, when they were sitting in their defensive shape and that sometimes like Newcastle, for example, will drop one of the front two back and make a 4-5-1 and maybe that'll allow Ailing to go forward a little bit more. Um, I thought he was pretty good in the in the right centre-back position. I thought his link-ups play with Rafinha and, and Dallas was good and he looked quite controlled. Um, but yeah, I think he was perhaps limited by just keeping a lid on it and tracking back in case Richarlison was going to counter-attack. Um, and Richarlison is quite a dangerous player um, on the counter. So I think perhaps it was just that specific um, reason why it wasn't so effective. But um, again, I'm I'm quite positive that if we played exactly the same players in the same formation, that um, Aylin could have a much better game against Burnley. A lot of his passing was between, between the centre-backs, wasn't it? So he was kind of, yeah, he was... His job when receiving the ball from the right wing back was principally to pass it to across to the to the left hand side and 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 uh, similarly when he got it from the other centre backs to to recycle it to the to the right wing back um, and and I thought I didn't mean to sound negative about him earlier because I actually thought he did what he did reasonably well you know I think he did what was possible and available to him uh, in most cases uh, well and in in terms of the progressive carries my observation is that that he would pick the ball up from. Um, from the the centre centre back, so it would have been Strout mostly giving him the ball, and then he would have maybe ten yards that he could drive the ball into up to the halfway line before Everton's structure was really sat there in front of him, and he took that opportunity. But then generally, the only pass available to him was to Dallas or to to Shackleton, so that's the pass that he took. So I've kind of got no criticism of him really in terms of build up. I thought I thought he tried to do the things that he normally does as, as much as it was available to him. So do you think that that suggests that the build-up was sort of easy from the final, from the back third forward? Is that is that all it indicates, really? I think so. Yeah, I think that's all it is. Is that that we we weren't under any pressure in our in our back third, but he couldn't commit too far forward because he would have left us exposed one on one in terms of their strikers. Well, let's move on and look forward. 
because looking forward is always a good thing to do. So next week we are playing against Burnley, which is happening on Sunday at 2pm, which is good because it means that we'll be able to watch it on BT, I believe. Burnley have had a remarkable... Burnley have had an unremarkable season so far uh, in that they've lost two games. They lost 2-1 to Brighton. Uh, they went 1-0 up and then uh, were kiboshed late in the game against Brighton and then they lost 2-0 versus Liverpool yesterday. So they will be very much up for getting a point on the board. Uh, the team that they played against Liverpool was one that caused boomers like Darren to go off into raptures of ecstasy yes. because of the numbering system. Personally, I think people <laughs> who care about numbers like this should be thrown into jail. But uh, they played Nick Pope in goal. They had Charlie Taylor, Ben Mee, James Tarkovsky, and Matt Loughton as their um, as their back line. Uh, Dwight McNeil, Jack Cork, Josh Brownhill as the other central midfielder. Uh, Goodmanson on, on the outside. So classic four four two. And then Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood up front. Let's talk about that game briefly. We will have a fuller preview podcast out on our Patreon later in the week. But my big question to you guys at first is, how would you like to see any changes in the three-three-one-three from today? And I suppose the, the premise of that question is, like, do we expect Burnley to play different to the way that Everton uh, played? So, Darren, you watched, did you catch some of the Burnley game? Yeah, I caught most of the Burnley game yesterday. Um, and I thought they gave Liverpool some problems in similar ways that they gave gave us problems in both games last year and that, that they're, they're kind of not particularly clever, they're not, not particularly sophisticated, but, but they do press high, they do press intensely at times. They do like to smash into a tackle. They'll cause us all sorts of problems from that point of view. So it'd be a very different game from from the one uh, from the one yesterday. And I... I um, yeah, I guess it links into my question. Really, is this, is the same one as as, as yours, John? In that, in that, I think we're gonna we're gonna need to um, progress the ball under pressure in a way that we we just didn't have to do uh, yesterday, and I think that will cause us some different problems, and we'll need to find some different solutions, as we did it in you know Turf Moor particularly uh, last year. Although I think you'd be hard pressed to say we found solutions to, to their pro- the problems they presented to us at Elland Road. Well, what do you think the, those solutions might be? I think that that. We need to probably play a little bit more transitionally and a little bit more incisively in, in the transition and to, to kind of make the first first pass is going to need to be a bit more direct than it was yesterday, I think, to try and exploit the spaces. And we know that we know that Click, if he plays, and Rodrigo, if he plays, are both good at finding the, those sorts of spaces um, when the game opens up a little bit. So I'm expecting a kind of really difficult and challenging first portion of the game again. And then we'll, I suspect, we'll start to find some some passing lanes that we can hit and and some some areas that we can exploit um, space in, uh, probably between. Uh, last season, it seemed to be between their back four and their midfield, where the, where that space opened up in the transition. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll we'll be able to find that and, and to kind of drop the ball into those spaces for Bamford or drop it in for a runner like like Rodrigo or Rafinha or Click, um, and and try and get out their back four in quite a direct way. I agree that those are going to be the potential solutions if Burnley are pressing. I think we might see a tough 15, 20 minutes, and then the classic thing. Um, that we tend to do is then the players sort of between themselves speak to each other and say, why don't we just go long um, a little bit longer, uh, a little bit more often? Um, and then we see them sort of dinking balls over to Bamford, um, maybe Rafinha, Harrison, um, which I think could be a threat. Um, we we certainly saw that at Turf Moor. There was a couple of long balls out to Harrison um, and Harrison played really well that game and, and they resulted in big chances. So, um, maybe it will be a, a little bit more open than the Everton game um, if Burnley are pressing us high and then we're looking to counter quickly. 
um, that should be quite an interesting game. Quick question for the two of you. Click or Rodrigo, Darren? Click. Joe? Click as well. Hmm. Darren, you wanted to talk a little bit about pressing? Uh, yeah, just just in terms of how how our back three um, will will stand up to them, um, because I thought Burnley's pressing gave us lots of problems in both games, and that, that they were right in our faces, um, and that there were long periods in the game when we just couldn't get out, and and we kind of really went under their physical bombardment. So, yeah, I'm just I'm just a bit sort of interested in in terms of how we manage that. Do we keep one one question that I had actually, which is not really related to the pressing, but sort of is because I think it affects how we play out as well. Is what centre back pair, what centre backs we go with because we know that Luke Erling can struggle aerially at times, and I think they're likely to target him aerially if he plays at right centre back. But if you take Luke Erling out of the right centre back slot, you lose something in terms of the possession stuff and his ability to find those pass sort of passes that we were talking about earlier. So I think there's a real kind of conundrum there in terms of how, whether we prioritise making sure that that we manage their physical bombardment by putting cock and his broken cock back in uh, or, 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 um, or whether we stick with Aileen for the things that he brings us in possession and, and his ability to beat their press. So I just wondered what you guys thought about that as a question. I guess the question has to extend to whether or not Urente is available as well because that could also be an option. Um, yeah, Joe, what do you reckon? I wouldn't be surprised if Urente came back in if he was fit. Um I think he's a popular choice from Bielsa and obviously then you go back to having a right footer at right centre back. I mean that Ailing's right footed as well, but um I guess I mean centre centre back might change as well. Um but for me I'm I'm happy with the, the lineup that we did yesterday. Um Cooper, Strauk and Ailing. Um but I do agree with Darren that aerially, obviously Burnley are a huge threat. Um from corners they love to do that thing where they swarm around the goalkeeper and they just um, swing a ball in really close to the keeper. And you're really relying on players like Cooper, Ailing, possibly Urente or Cock if they play, um, to be dominant in the air um, to avoid that resulting in a goal. And yeah, so I think we might see one of them come back in um, just for the aerial, just for the extra height in the back line and then... Ailing will play uh, right wing back. But if it was down to me, I'd be quite happy not to change anything. Yeah, the difficulty is, I think, that Pascal Strauch is now, I'm pretty convinced, our best centre-centre-back and our best left centre-back. He was undroppable. He was fucking fantastic yesterday. Yeah, he barely did anything wrong, yeah. Joe, you wanted to talk a little bit about Junior. Yeah, so just following on what we'd spoken about um, earlier in the pod, I think it will be great to see Firpo get another game in the same formation and just look a bit more relaxed. Maybe it was the fact that it was a first home game. Like we said, there was a bit of nerves. And I just want to see him have a bit more composure, um, go forwards a bit more, create a few more chances. So I'm just really looking forward to watching him uh, develop, to be honest, because I think it's an exciting, he's an exciting prospect. And um, yeah, I'll be, I'll be certainly keeping my eye on him on Sunday. I think he's in for a very, very difficult afternoon personally because I, I suspect that he won't have played against anything quite as agricultural as, as Burnley's 4-4-2 and I think that there might be, some, <laughs> might be some adjustment period that we need to kind of factor in for him. Yeah, fortunately Dwight McNeil's on the other side of the pitch, right? So yeah, yeah. it might not be quite so bad. As we said, we will have a fuller preview episode out in the week I'll be talking to Jamie Smith who is a Burnley fan uh, and then we'll have a, a little chat amongst ourselves about some of the stuff that we touched on today uh, but until then all there is for me to do is to say thank you to Darren thank you 
And thank you to Joe. Cheers. And we'll see you on the flip side. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.